Today, uh, we are continuing our journey talking about uh, the God who provides, uh, talking about how we rely on God for our financial resources, uh, and we talk about openly about money at Mount Hope Church, uh, and we hope um, that um, those who are uh, guests here uh, don't feel obligated to give uh, to this church. Uh, and here are the three reasons why we talk about money. <clears throat> First is because uh, this is something that Jesus spoke in the Gospels over and over again. He kind of taught us how we need to relate to financial resources, how we need to understand money. The second is um, so that we are grounded in our theology about money. We give to God as a token of our gratitude for all that God has given us. Uh, this is something that is all through the Bible when we read it. Uh, we are called to give 10% uh, of all that we have to God uh, as our first fruits offering. Uh, we talked about that last Sunday as well. Uh, and for some of us, we know that we can't give 10%. Uh, and for some, we can give more than 10%. But we give as a token of our gratitude. The reason Christian and I give uh, to this church is because we just look at how God has blessed us, how God has immensely blessed each one of us and our family, that we just look around and we say we cannot believe the outpouring of God's blessings in our lives. And for that reason, we give. And finally, we give, um, we talk about money is because we depend on Mount Hope for worship. Uh, we depend on Mount Hope for fellowship and caring for those in our community. Um, and uh, we depend on, on that. So, uh, and we depend on your generosity in order to provide these ministries as well. Please know that this conversation about money that we are having this Sunday and next Sunday will be our last Sunday about it. Uh, we don't want to make anyone feel guilty or obligated to give because we read in the scripture, God loves a cheerful giver. Um, and we give uh, out of the sense of, I get to contribute. I get to help with the ministries of the church. That is uh, the driver. That is the foundation of the series. I just kind of wanted to openly share uh, that piece before we look into uh, this scripture uh, that we have. By the way, I don't pick these images. I think that's pretty funny. Um, Complain away. That's the title of our sermon uh, this morning. <clears throat> Let us pray. A God who hears our complaints, uh, we are grateful that you are our God. God, we uh, look at these scriptures and we ask that you would speak to us. That you would open our eyes and our ears to your word. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you, our God and King. Amen. Amen. Have you ever been friends with a complainer? You know, the person who complains all the time, no matter what, they have something to complain about. For example, they could be complaining as to how warm it was last weekend. They were telling you, I can't believe it's so warm. Why am I wearing flip-flops and shorts? It's November, right? They were complaining about it. And then today, you talk to the same person, they'd be like, I, can you believe how cold it is? I cannot believe, why is it so cold? And you look at them and say, didn't you just complain that it was too hot the other day? Right? I'm sure you have a person like that. For them, the glass is never half empty. For them, the glass is always empty. 
right? There's nothing good. There's absolutely nothing good. See, I met this one guy at seminary, and um, this guy complained about everything. When I say complain about everything, I mean this guy fits this description of a complainer. And um, once he wrote a letter, made such a big deal about some of the keynote speakers that were coming to our seminary. When you're part of a seminary or grad school, they're always like experts in the field that come and kind of talk about the book they published or some research they've done. Uh, and he made such a big fuss and said that, he, that the seminary is not doing enough for him to become a pastor. They're bringing all these people from the academia and it's not really good, it's not well grounded, blah, blah, blah. He made such a fuss that the president actually kind of stepped in and invited a pastor to come and give a keynote. After the keynote, I spoke to this guy and I said, hey, what did you think? He's like, man, that guy was not even grounded in academia. I don't understand why he was here. <laughs> he gave a lot of stories. I'm not in this church. I was like, can you hear yourself, right? And the funny part about this guy is when you actually sit down and talk to him and you say, man, you're really difficult to live with. He's like, no, I'm very easygoing. He had no clue that he complained all the time. He had absolutely no clue that he was difficult, right? He thought he was a nice guy that he, he's like, I adapt very easily to all the challenges that come my way. I was like, heck no, <laughs> right? Absolutely no clue, no clue about how his complaints were bothering other people. So this morning, I feel like we all complain. No matter who you are, if you are a human being, if you have breath in your lungs, we all complain. It's just to the degree of what we complain, right? It might be this level or this level or a little bit higher than that. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to invite you into a circle to join the circle of complaining together, all right? That's the ground rules. We'll all complain together knowing fully well that we are a people who complain. That's who we are. We are a people who complain no matter who we are. And today we sit in the circle with these Israelites who are complaining to Moses and Aaron. And there we're complaining to Moses and Aaron. They were in the wilderness, right? They're in the wilderness and they are worried about food. And they're complaining. At face value, I can truly understand their complaint. Their complaint seems legitimate to me. Their complaint feels 100% warranted, right? See, I don't think Moses and Aaron sat with the people of Israel and actually worked through the logistics of leaving Egypt and going to the promised land. Do you have any, anywhere in the Bible, do you see an itinerary? Right? We're going to walk towards Red Sea. We'll see what happens there. Then we're going to, third day, we're going to move around a little bit. No, they just said, he, like Moses just went up to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And that was it. So I can understand why these people are complaining because they had no idea what the plan was. Now they're in the wilderness. It's about almost two and a half months have passed. And they're looking around and saying, we're all going to die. There is absolutely no food here. We are going to die. I can see that. I can 100% see that complaint being legitimate. What I have a little bit difficulty with is what they do next. 
What they do next is where I'm like, oh, maybe not. This is what they tell Moses, verse 3. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand. They're very good Christian people, by the way, when they're complaining, right? The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pot, pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve and the entire assembly to death. Here the people of Israel begin to compare their present realities with a romantic past. That they would sit around with pots of meat and eat all the food they want to eat. I want us to do a reality check with this statement. First is, uh, for our culture, uh, where we are, uh, we pretty much eat meat every day. If you go to a drive-through, there's meat available. But in this culture, you only ate meat during special occasions. You only ate meat during holidays. Right now, we say a good diet is to have protein, some veggies, a little bit of starch, right? That's a good diet for you to eat. In this culture, that was not the case. They never ate meat every day. This is a very modern day thing to do. I'm not sure I buy it, that there were pots of meat that they sat around and ate. Here are a few things that we need to remember before these Israelites end up in this predicament and making this statement. Before this happens, this is what God saw happening to the people of Israel. This is what God saw them. This is how God viewed their lives. This is reading from Exodus chapter 3. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of Egyptians and to bring them up to the land into a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey. God is saying that he has seen their misery. God has heard the cries because of their slave drivers. I'm not sure if they were shedding tears, if they were sitting around with pots of meat. God heard their misery. God heard how their slave drivers were treating them. And he could hear their cries. He could hear their cries. Friends, I think sometimes we do this too. We sometimes think of our past. That it was all wonderful and our present is much more difficult. And I think that's what the Israelites were doing. Another reality that needs to be shared. That these individuals were being held as slaves. When you're held as a slave, you don't have freedom. Whenever you read history about enslaved people, they were always ill-treated, exploited, to make more money for the ones who owned them. They were treated poorly. That is just the reality of it. And this is how poorly they were treated. Reading from Exodus 5.13, the slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you each day. Just when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelites, overseers they had appointed, demanding, why haven't you met your quota? 
of bricks yesterday or today as before. Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh, why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. This is what Pharaoh says back to them. Pharaoh said, lazy. Pharaoh said, lazy. That's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce the, your full quota of bricks. The Israelites are being beaten, ordered to make bricks, while Pharaoh does not provide the needed raw ingredients to make bricks. That's straw. Make the same amount without any of the raw materials that are needed to make bricks. Working in these conditions is heartbreaking. These conditions on the ground don't seem like people are sitting with pots of meat and eating all they want every day. The contrary is true. These are enslaved people who are being punished. And they were not able to provide the allotted number of bricks. In short, friends, their lives are in misery. And the living God does something amazing to these people. The next 10 chapters you read in Exodus, starting from 5 all the way on, you read how God did 10 different plagues. One was more powerful than the other. When calamity strikes the people, uh, Egypt and Pharaoh and his family, Pharaoh comes to Moses and says, stop, please don't do this. And then he changes his mind. And the final plague was the, born, the death um, of the oldest child, the firstborn. And the only way the people of Israel were rescued from this is because they were celebrating the Passover meal. The blood of the lamb that was slain to prepare that meal was posted on the doorpost. And the people of Israel were safe as the angel of death passed through each door. And finally, they were freed. Finally, they were freed. They were allowed to leave the land of Egypt. Go to the promised land. Right? They leave their land. They're walking towards the Red Sea. And 600 chariots follow them to kill them. And they kind of find themselves in a no-win situation. The no-win situation is either drown in the Red Sea or be enslaved again. And God does a miracle. He makes dry land out of the Red Sea. And God again rescues them and provides for them. And God is with them. This is their history. This is what they experienced in the past couple of months. Just two months in the wilderness. They've seen God's mighty acts of salvation, redemption, and they've forgotten all about what God can do. And now they are complaining. They're complaining against Moses and Aaron. How quickly we forget God's goodness in our lives. 
how quickly we forget that God provided for us, that God rescued us from the waters of the Red Sea or the angel of death passed over our house. How quickly we forget that God we worship is a God who delivers us. And we begin to complain. I believe it is true for us as well as Christians who follow Jesus. We seem to quickly forget God's deliverance in our lives. We seem to quickly forget what God has done in our lives. What I love about this story that was read to us, what I love about this story is God does not chastise the people of Israel when they begin to complain. He doesn't say, don't you have any faith? Look how I have provided for you, how I have cared for you all these days. Why are you complaining? Just believe. No, if God said that, it would make sense. But God does not say that. Verse 7, this is what we read this morning. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard you, your grumbling. In another translation it says, because he has heard your complaining. Friends, the God that we worship hears our grumbling and our complaints. The God that we worship hears our complaints. And that day, in the evening, the birds were sent so that they could eat meat. And next day, bread from heaven came up. We call it manna. Manna in Hebrew actually means, what is this? They didn't know what it was. God provided for them. God took care of them. Moses gave clear instructions as to how they need to gather food and how much each person needs to do. And what I love about that story is each one of them, each family that gathered food, it was enough. It was enough. Friends, this morning, I want to remind you, in Exodus chapter C, we read that we serve a God who hears the cries, who sees our misery. And now we see a God who hears our complaints as well. We serve a God who can redeem us from slavery into eternal life. And yet, the God that we worship can listen to our complaints as well. Friends, do you find yourself in a wilderness today where you are looking around and things are not looking rosy where you find yourself in a wilderness wilderness is that spiritual space that we enter sometimes where things are dry and humid it seems lifeless do you find yourself in a wilderness today and do you have a complaint Do you have some grumblings that are happening in your heart? This morning, I want to remind you that we worship a God who provides. We worship a God who provides for us. Go ahead. Complain to God. Whatever your need is today, go ahead and complain to God. Because the God we worship will provide.
know God has done some amazing things in our past, and we thank God for that. And this morning, I want you to go boldly before God and share your complaint to him. Because I believe that the God we worship will provide. The God we worship is a big God, and he will provide for us. Are you willing to take your complaint to God? This morning is in response to the spoken word, to the word that was lifted up. I want us to invite us to sing, uh, I surrender all. As we sing this hymn next, whatever your complaint is, that you just put, open your arms and lay them on your lap and just give it to God. Let us sing, I surrender all.
God, we come before you with our complaints, and we surrender them to you. A God who provides, we ask that you would provide for us. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Friends, at this time, I want to invite you to worship the God who provides by giving a token of our gratitude for all the blessings that God has given us. Let us worship our God with our tithes and our offerings. 